Good evening, everybody, and welcome to our practical spirituality and overview of Tanya. Uh, just if you could nod your head, you hear me clearly? Okay, good, good. Um, it's really, a, it, it's a, an honor and it's really um, reflective on everyone here on all the many years that we've spent together. It's five years learning the Tanya. And tonight we're gonna have uh, part one, an overview of the Tanya. Hopefully you'll be able to leave with some really practical tools um, and insights for your own personal life and in your relationship with Hashem. So tonight's class is titled, who am I and what can I be? I'm willing that is you will leave with a lot, a lot more clarity tonight, who you are and what uh, your potential is. Um, and then next week's class, we're going to try and learn some of the tools for life that Tanya gives us. This is an interactive class. Please feel free at any point to ask any questions, put something in the chat box. Um, I, I love interaction and feedback. Okay. So we start off with the story of 1812, and you all know when the War of 1812 was, right? The joke we used to say when we were back in kindergarten. So the War of 1812, Napoleon is fighting against the Russian army, and he's approaching Vilna. And at that time, the, there was a big controversy within the um, Jewish world who would be better for the Jewish people? Would it be the Russian army? Although they would make it physically harder on the Jews, but spiritually, the Alter Rebbe felt, Rabbi Zalman, the author of the Tanya felt, it would be better for the Russians to win. And there were other groups which felt that, no, we want Napoleon to win. Napoleon will make it easier physically for the Jewish people. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Zalman, was so committed to uh, um, ensuring that the Russians won, that spiritually we have stories of how he intervened that Napoleon should win as well as physically. And I wanna share with you one of those stories here. So the Alter Rebbe sent his chassid, Reb Moshe Meislish of Vilna, who was fluent in four languages. He was fluent in German, Russian, Polish, and French, to go and become a translator for the French high command. And that's what Ramosha did. He went to be a translator for the French high command and try and get some information to help Nepal, to help the, the Russian army. And I want to read to you three paragraphs that Ramosha's writing, um, sharing with his friends that time period. He shared. Again, the War of 1812, Ramosha is a by essentially, currently the French army, he shares, the high command of the French army was meeting and hotly debating the maneuvers and arrangements of the flanks for the upcoming battle. The maps were spread on the floor and the generals were examining the roads and trails, unable to reach a decision. Time was short, tomorrow at the very latest, the day after, the battle on Vilna must begin. They were still debating when the door flew open with a crash. The guard stationed inside the door was greatly alarmed and drew, drew his revolver. So great was the commotion that everybody thought that the enemy had burst in 
an attempt to capture the French chief command. But it was Napoleon himself who appeared in the doorway. The emperor's face was dark with fury. He stormed into the room and raged. Has the battle been planned? Have the orders to form the flanks been issued? And as he's talking, he sees Ramayshas, Ramayshas shares. He says, and who is this stranger? Napoleon continues pointing to me. In a flash, he was at my side. You are a spy for Russia, he thundered, and placed his hand on my chest to feel the pounding heart of a man exposed. At that moment, Ramosha is sharing, the Aleph of Hasidism stood me by. And that's what you have here on the page. The Aleph of Hasidism saved me from a certain death. What is the Aleph of Hasidism? How did it save Ramosha's life? And how can it change your life? With God's help tonight, we will be able to answer all those questions. You know, one, one item about the Tanya is that it's a very clearly, the mission statement of the Tanya is clearly written. The Alter Rebbe wrote it with a name as well as um, giving a one sentence on what it is about. The name of Tanya, the name that the Alter Rebbe gave it, is Sefer Shel Bainanim, Book of the Average Person. And this is going to become critical because a major part of tonight's lesson is going to be talking about what is this average person? We all, we're going to learn, can be an average person. But what is that average person? And I want to share with you that the Alter Rebbe himself wrote a book of the, of the tzaddik, of the righteous, of the holy person. And that book was burned. It wasn't something we, we were all supposed to learn. This book is a message for all of us. The book of the average person, like you and I. And, the, and he says, what is the uh, basis of this entire book? It is the verse in Deuteronomy 30, 14 that tells us, For it is exceedingly near to you in your mouth and in your heart to do. So the verse in Deuteronomy tells us clearly the ability to serve, serve God, the ability to be able to fulfill our mission in this world is not near, not karo. It's karov me'od, exceedingly near. So what we're going to learn tonight is extremely practical and it's, we're able to implement it. Here in this picture, we're actually looking at um, I'll just circle it here. We're actually looking at the sixth edition of the Tanya. And I wanted to show you those words which say, Sefer Shalbanin. This Tanya was printed in the year 1806 in Shiklov. And here you see the title is the book of the Bainini, the book of the average person. And here it says, it's based on the verse, Ki karo davar It is uh, based on the, on the verse that it is exceedingly close to us. Any questions before we, we, we move ahead? Okay, here we go. Let me just... Uh, Sorry, I just want to remove, there you go, okay. So, 
the compilers forward the Alter Rebbe, and that is the person who, who we see on the right. He is the author of the Tanya. He wrote in his introduction to the Tanya that he is writing the Tanya because he doesn't have the ability anymore to meet with all of his followers. A Rebbe guides his chassid. A Rebbe guides his follower. And I don't have the time physically to meet with everybody one-on-one. -on -one. So I am writing a book that has every answer for your question. So this is not a book of philosophy. This is, book, this is a book of practical implementation for each and every one of us. I'm writing this for you, your chassid. Chassid is a follower. It's, it's anybody who learns the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe is addressing him and saying that this is, I can't personally meet with you one-on-one -on -one, and therefore I'm gonna share with you our, con our conversation, our visits in a book. And therefore it's an extremely personal and practical book. It is not something of, of um, high out there like I showed you before, the verse is founded on the verse. The book is founded on the verse, it's exceedingly close to you. So this is about practical implementation. As we, with this understanding that Tanya is about the practical Im implementation, and it's because we don't have the ability to meet one-on-one -on -one with the Alter Rebbe, so it's extremely methodical. And here we've broken it up into nine parts. It's as if you're going for counseling, you're going for guidance, and you have nine separate visits with the Alter Rebbe. And with, within these nine visits, you are going to get clarity in your mission in life clarity in what I'm doing here, clarity in how to overcome depression, how to overcome any challenge. We are all lucky that we, are, we have the ability to uh, connect with this holy book. Tonight, we're going to learn the first two visits, which are going to be chapter one through chapter 18. Here we go. So we start off our first visit with the Alter Rebbe. You know, they share that a couple is driving down the street when all of a sudden the car goes up in smoke. And the husband needs to say something smart. He doesn't know exactly what the issue is. So he turns to his wife. He says, I know what I know. You know what? I got it. There's an issue under the hood. Right, that's not going to help us, an issue under the hood. I also know there's an issue under the hood. Over here tonight, what we need to do is we need to dig in. What is the anatomy of the soul? What is our, if we're coming and we want to become better people, we first need to know what are we made up of? You know, a doctor, before he starts practicing, he needs to learn about the body. A cook, before he starts to cook, before he starts actually frying things, he needs to know what type of materials, what type of foods he's going to deal with. So as we're coming to become better people, we first need to know who are we? And as we begin this journey, as we begin our visits to the Alter Rebbe, our initial visit starts off with us look, uh, looking at ourselves and seeing that we're living conflicting lives. In the morning, I wake up, I'm all spiritual. Maybe I say the Moda'ani and I thank God for the ability to be alive. Maybe I pray, I put on film, whatever we do. But in the morning, we wake up with this spiritual connection. And then all of a sudden, 
as the day goes on and maybe having these inappropriate, lustful thoughts, what, what's going on within me? Am I bipolar? Is there an issue with me? And it is this question that initially leads us to connect in our first session with the Alter Ebbe. And the first thing that we're gonna learn, the first session teaches us that we're all pregnant with twins. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's actually very appropriate to have, be having this class tonight. This week's Torah portion tells us that Rivka, Rebecca, the wife of Yitzchak, Isaac, she was pregnant. And as she would pass by a house of idol worship, her baby would start kicking and hurting as if she wants, the baby wants to come out. The fetus wants to come out. And when she would pass by a synagogue again, the fetus would start kicking, saying that the fetus really wants to come out. And she was nervous. She says, what, there's something, there's something going on with my child. My child is bipolar. And so she went to the rabbi at the time, and the rabbi said, you don't have one bipolar son. You're pregnant with twins. You have one son, which naturally has an animal drive, and one son, which has a godly drive, and that's what happened. Rebecca had two sons. She had Isaac. She had, sorry, Jacob, Yitzch, uh, Yaakov, who had his godly drive was leading him, and then she had a child, Asaph, who his animal drive was lead, leading him. And what we're going to learn tonight, and that's why I must say I love this picture here, in the border, the picture tells us that each one of us has with, on, on, in us these two different drives. So we have an animal drive and a godly drive. Just like our, our matriarch, Rebecca, which was pregnant with two children, we are pregnant with two conflicting souls. But I want to tell you something very important, crucial. Judaism does not say there's an evil drive. We don't have an evil drive. We have a godly drive and an animal drive. An animal drive, as we'll learn soon, is selfish, but it is not evil. We are not born with evil within us. We are born with godliness within us. Any questions before we move ahead? So let's, let's talk about what are these two souls these two drives that are within us. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, he shares, you know, over here in the picture, you could see five steps, what the needs of a human being are. There's the psychological, there's, this, there's the physiological needs of food, water, warmth, and rest, safety, belongingness, esteem, self-actualization. In our, in our, class tonight we're learning all of these are part of the animal drive remember it's not evil it's animal they're all part of taking care of ourselves the animalistic soul is selfish it is materialistic now being selfish by the way is not a bad thing in other words at times we need to take care of ourselves the question is if we get caught up in so that is our, we have our animalistic soul. 
And then we have our godly soul. Our godly soul is the opposite of selfishness, is selflessness. It is the opposite of materialistic. It is spiritualistic. So we have one drive, the drive of, we'll call it the drive of Asa. Remember, we're pregnant with twins. We have the drive of the animal soul that is selfish and materialistic. We have the godly soul that is selfless and spiritualistic. Well, okay, so we have these two drives within us. I am really curious. If I could ask everybody to take a moment and put it in the chat. When you hear that you have a soul, what does your soul look like? Can anyone, please, I'm very curious. Um, and I think it would, it would be very helpful to all of us. What, what do you think that your soul looks like? You could shout it out or put it in the chat box. My soul, thank you, David, for jumping in. My soul is a reflection of Hashem in me. I appreciate that. Um, I, I appreciate that greatly. And, but I think the question is a drop. I'll, I'll, I'll push a little more, David. The question is, how does that look though? So Gary says, a light of hope. Lucy says, multicolor kind of like tie-dye with star specs. I appreciate these answers. Um, pure white light. You know, I... Hush, beautiful, beautiful. These are phenomenal answers. And the truth is, I was hoping we'd get some of these answers. Um, we just have some people still joining the class. So I want, so there are people, there is this notion in the world that Hashem, that our soul is, they call it like a translucent egg. It's like a shadow. Here's what I want to show you. And here's what we're going to learn tonight. We're going to learn that our souls are people. Remember that picture I showed you? Let's go back to that picture. Because that picture, there's two people inside of us. That is, that is what's going on within us. We have two full people. Our souls are, let's see what type of people they are. They have a self, they have an inside. And if you're familiar with Kabbalah on the right-hand side, you have the Tensifirot. The souls, each, as we'll soon see, each one of these souls is made up of its inside, which is intellect. Let me highlight... Um, a picture are you screen sharing hmm. you don't see a picture i don't um, i could see it i could see it i can see it also i oh, see it just me. okay is this me? Oh, sorry maybe just on my device maybe try just logging back in maybe and, and it will come back up i'm not sure okay it could be my device so i just circled chachma bin and das which are our intellect of the tensive zero and then we have the next six circles, which are our emotions. So we have intellect and emotions. These are the insides of each of these souls. Your animalistic soul has its insides of intellect and emotions. You could think about animalistic things. You could think about selfish things. You could love or hate things that are selfish to you. 
Now, what I want to be clear about is both of your souls, both the animal and godly soul have an insight, and it's very hard to change. It is very hard for us to change our insights. It's very hard for us to change the way we think and the way we feel. But we also have outsides. We also have our self-expression. Each one of us, we have our animal soul has the ability to think, speak, and act to carry out its materialistic and selfish desires. And our godly soul has its own thought, speech, and action with which it could carry out its spiritualistic and selfless desires. So self-expression is called closing. It's called the lavush. We could change it. Now let's go back a moment to, let's go back a moment to talk about the insight. Our intellect is called our parents. The emotions are called children. Now this is not so crucial for us to know at this moment, but as we're gonna go along this journey, we're gonna learn that it's, this is a critical point because parents give birth to children. Ah. Our intellect gives birth to emotion. The way we think about something will create an emotion about that. Let me give you an example, a practical example, I think, from kind of a hot topic today. Let's talk about politics. Now, we're not going to go into talking about our political beliefs, but I want to talk about the passion. People talk about it often with a passion. So it starts intellectually. But without them even realizing, there now becomes an emotion. I love this person or I hate this person. Or in between, perhaps. But again, we start off with the intellect. We start off thinking, what's my position on this matter? What's my belief? And slowly that belief becomes a feeling. That is our inside. And then again, we have our outside, our thought, speech, and action. So I could be thinking about something inappropriate, but in a second I could switch my thoughts. I could be speaking something inappropriate, right? You ever walked into a classroom and students were talking about things they shouldn't have and they're all of a sudden mute or they're talking about something else. You didn't even hear them. And we could act, we could be doing something inappropriate in a split second change. So our behavior is something that we can always change. So going back to that question where we asked, what does a soul look like? Leaving tonight's class, our, we want to leave with the knowledge that both our animalistic soul and our godly soul are made up of the insides, our intellect and emotions and our outsides the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action. So we have two full people. Like you see those two people. I love this picture, like I said, because it's so true. There's, there's this constant battle within us. Just like Rebecca, just like Rizko was pregnant with twins. Literally, we're, we're pregnant with twins. We have this fight of these two people. So how do you decide who's going to win? Okay, we're going to get, that's going to be the next visit 
to the Alter Rebbe is going to be how you could make sure that the godly soul will win. But first, we need to talk about a critical question. You know, thought, is thought part of yourself or self-expression? In other words, the question is, can we control our thoughts? Isn't there times that we're just, we're not in control of our thoughts? Aren't there times that our thoughts just go astray and there's nothing we could do about it? This question was asked by a chassid of the Magid of Mizrich. The Magid of Mizrich was a teacher of the Alter Rebbe. So one of his followers came and said, look, I could control my actions. I got it. I could control my thoughts. I could control my speech. I got it. But thought, I can't control my thoughts. So the Magid, his Rebbe instructed me, said, look, I want you to go to the town of, J- of Jetomer and visit Reb Zed. Reb Zed of Jetomer. It's the dead of winter, white Russia, freezing cold, like you see in the background. And the Chassid gets there. It's after midnight. And he peeks through the door and he sees Reb Zev is awake and he's ecstatic. It's freezing outside. He knocks on the door. He's waiting. He doesn't come to the door. He's knocking and banging and banging. He's doing whatever he can. No response from Reb Zev. He has no choice. He keeps on banging, getting, trying to get his attention and he's completely ignoring him. Only at 7 a.m., Reb Zev comes to the door as if nothing happens. Ah, welcome in. I, I'm so sorry you're outside. You must be freezing. Come to the fire. Warm yourself up. Reb Zev is a model host. He takes care of him for a few days as an incredible host. And finally, after a few days, the chassid turns to Reb Zev. He says, the purpose of my visit is really to ask you a question. I was sent by the Magid to ask you, how can I control my thoughts? So Reb Zev says, tell me, is a man any less a master of his own self than he is of his home? You see, I gave you my answer on the very night you arrived. In my home, I am the boss. Whomever I wish to admit, I allow in. Whomever I do not wish to admit, I do not. You know, I think about this often with the smartphones. You know, oftentimes we're addicted. It's it's an addiction. But we need to know it's a decision. It's not an addiction. Unfortunately, there may be an addiction. But often it's a decision we're making, but we're in control. So our thoughts, we're in full, we have the ability to be in full control, just like in our house. We don't have to let everybody in. Not every phone call do we need to answer. Not every email do we need to jump up and respond. We have the ability to control our thoughts. Now, so you look at this sign here and it says, don't even think of parking here. So uh, chances are you've already thought about parking here. I tell you, don't even think of parking here. That's impossible. You've already thought about parking here. And that's what I want to differentiate now in this class. There's thinking of and thinking about. So if you see something and it attracts your attention for a minute and you get caught in that thought, that's thinking of. Believe the thought. Change it. Don't think about it. Let me say that again. 
you see this parking space. Thinking of, it's, it's impossible not to think of it because just the fact that it's written there made you think of parking there. But thinking about it would be imagining how would my beautiful Lexus, my beautiful black Lexus, look right on top of those beautiful stones. That's thinking about, it's indulging in the thought. So thinking of something we don't have control. Again, if we see different things in, outside, our mind may automatically get connected to it. And that's not a problem. The problem is if we think about it, if we get caught up in our thoughts. So let's summarize now our first visit, our first visit with the Alter Rebbe, our first guidance, message of guidance. So the summary is, that like our foremother, like our matriarch, Rebecca, who didn't carry one bipolar child, she was carrying two children, Esav and Yaakov, Jacob and Esav. We are all pregnant with two different drives and the two drives are full people inside. So now we continue on and now our second visit, we come back a few weeks later for our second visit. And now the question is, who are you gonna put in the driver's seat? Are you gonna let and again, this picture, I think it gives it, it, gives it away. There, there's this pull, there's this fight of the two souls. You know, they share that a man wakes up one morning and he's, his godly soul says, hey, let's get out of bed. The animalistic drive is telling him, no, sleep in. Five hours later, he gets out of bed and he says, ah, now my godly soul won. No, no, no. So that's not called the godly soul winning, right? Five hours later. How can we ensure that our godly soul will be able to be in control and we won't get caught up in inappropriate things? Our body is called a city. Our body is called a small city. And just like two kings waging war over a city, only one of the kings could rule. You can't have two kings ruling a city. Our body has these two kings fighting over us, trying to figure out who will win, who's going to be in control of David, who's going to be in control of Mark, who's, who's, they're each fighting within you, who is going to be in control today? You can't have two people driving a car, right? If you have two people driving a car, you just can't, it's not going to work. You've never been in my car. I've... <laughs> Well, I, you still only have only one steering wheel. Yeah, but I have a passenger that's usually telling me how to drive. So, <laughs> as a whole, you could only have one driver. Now, having said that, what we're going to talk about now, we're going to digress and talk about what is your potential. You know, we started off learning that the Tanya is cold the Sefer Shalbanim, the book of the average person. Okay, so what is the average person? What is my potential? Now, the way the Talmud seemingly portrays it, our potential is very, very low. The Talmud shares that a righteous person is someone who has more positive deeds than negative deeds. So hopefully 51% of the time you're being a good guy. 49% of the time, not so good. Okay, but you, now you're a righteous person. 
you know what the average person is? The average person just balances it out. 50% of the time he's good, he's doing good things. 50% of the time he's not doing good things. And a, a wicked person in Russia, he's doing more wicked things than good things. Now, if you tell me this is your, this is my potential, your potential, that's a little scary. I mean, that's basically telling me sin 50% of the day, or not 50%, yes, sin 50% of the day, just make sure half of your day is good. So hopefully this is not our potential. So what is the Talmud referring to when it says that 51% good deeds is called a righteous person, 50% good deeds is called an average person, and 49% or lower of good deeds is considered a wicked person? This is talking about, sorry, again, here's the side. It says, is this my potential? Is my potential? The best case scenario for all of us here is that 50% of the time will be nice. I hope not. The Talmud is talking about, sorry about that. The Talmud is talking about how the heavenly court looks at us. And by the way, this is a very, this is good news. Good news when we talk about the heavenly court. The good news is, that for someone to be meritorious in the heavenly court, um, the, the Talmud teaches, they need to have 51% good deeds. If, they have fifth, if the scale is tipped for the good, then if the scale is tipped for the good, then they're going to merit uh, reward. But that's not our, our potential. That's just talking about the way the heavenly court looks at us. So what is our potential? Here we learn about three types of people. We learn about the tzaddik, the righteous person. The righteous person, his behavior is not 50% good. or It's 100% good. The righteous person in his thought, speech, and action, in his behavior, he's 100% good. Now, something about the tzaddik is that, you remember we said there's a conflict of the animalistic soul and the godly soul? The tzaddik doesn't have that conflict. You know, King David, he says in Psalms, my heart is empty within me. In other words, he had taken his animalistic soul and made it support his godly soul. The inner conflict was, was gone for King David. Does he manage the conflict? Yes. And that's why that picture, I think, is so such a good picture. He just goes over. There is no conflict. That's the righteous person. And again, that's not our mission. Our mission is going to be to be the average person. So what's the average person? Quite a big task. The average person has full control over his behavior, thought, speech, and action. He has a conflict. You see that person. There is an inner conflict but he manages the conflict. Wow. So the average person, he's able to have full control of his, over his behavior. There's a constant battle, but he's constantly able to manage the conflict. And then we have a wicked person, the Russia. The Russia, when we talk about the Russia as a, as, um, a personality, the moment you don't manage the conflict, you temporarily fall into the category of the wicked person. In other words, we're much better than that. We all have the ability to manage the conflict. So if someone has even 99% good, but they don't manage the conflict even temporarily for that moment, 
they've lowered themselves to the le level of a wicked person. Let's go to the tzaddik for example. A tzaddik, if he would get completely drunk, he had zero inhibition, what would he do? He would do a mitzvah because he has no inner conflict. It's not like now something, some big secret's gonna come out. No, there is no conflict. So if he was completely intoxicated, he would do a mitzvah. That is his drive. What's the greatness of the bainani, of the average person? The greatness of the average person is not today. It's not what he's doing at this moment. It's not the quality, it's the quantity. The, the greatness of the bainani is that he's constantly managing this, con this inner conflict within him. A, once, a young child once asked his grandfather, who was known to be a Bainani, the average person that Tani refers to. He said, Seda, grandfather, are you a Bainani? So his grandfather responded in normal Jewish style. He said, he reflected it with the question back. He said, okay, go get me a Tehillim. Go get me a psalm. The child brings a psalm and he says, say psalm, say some Tehillim. And for five minutes, the child is reading Tehillim. After five minutes, his grandfather says, no, during these five minutes, were you thinking anything inappropriate? The, the child says, I was just trying to figure out why you're telling me to say tell him. I wasn't thinking anything inappropriate. Were you saying anything inappropriate? No, I was saying to him. I was saying Psalms the whole time. Were you doing anything inappropriate? No, I was here. I was saying to him. So his grandfather says, there you go. Just keep on doing this. Keep on controlling your thoughts, speech, and action for the rest of your life. And you'll remain a Bainani, the average person. So the greatness of the Bainani is that he's consistently managing the inner conflict. And then we have the, in, the wicked person. Again, he's not a bad person. Not that he's, he's sinned, he's done this tremendous sin. It's the moment we go under 100%, temporarily we are allowing our animal soul to control us. Here's a, a chart, just you could look at briefly, that kind of compares the way the Torah law looks at a person and the way our potential could be. What's interesting again is the Torah law says that as long as you have 51% good deeds, you're a righteous person. But in its pure essence, a righteous person, a tzaddik, is someone who has completely changed over his animalistic soul. He's got his animalistic soul to support the godly soul. So returning back to our question, what is our potential? Our potential is tremendous. Each and every body on this, in this class and each and every, every person has the ability to have behavioral perfection, to be in control at all times of their thoughts, speech, and actions. Just last week, I was talking to my son, and he's telling me I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't control myself. So I said, no, no. This is what we're learning here. We always have the ability, the choice. We always have the ability to be in control of our thoughts, speech, in action. Well, the question is how? It's a magical question. How does, do you and I, how does the average person 
control his behavior with the burning animal drive within him? And the answer to that is mayach shalat al the brain rules the heart. The heart. Rabbi Shay's cow, he shares, he was sitting outside of a grocery store. His wife had gone inside shopping briefly. He was learning something. And he sees a woman dragging a child out of the store. She's very upset. And she pulls the child into the car next to him, starts to scream at the child, and then all of a sudden looks and sees him next door. And magically she stops screaming. That's a story. Now, now how, how do you do that? If you're in a rage, how do you control yourself? What's this magical potion that she drank? And the answer is, it's called impulse control. It's called the ability for the brain to control the heart. God created us this way. It's not magical. Hashem has given us all the, uh, the impulse control, the ability to control ourselves. At any time, we can control our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. And you, you remember, I shared at the beginning the story of Napoleon and Ramosha Meislish. So Napoleon put his hand on Ramosha Meislish's heart to see if his heart would beat fast because he was a spy and Ramesha said, the Aleph of Hasidus saved my life. What is the Aleph? What is the foundation of Hasidism? That the brain rules over the heart. The Mayach Shalat al And with that, Ramesha shared, he was able to be in full control of his heart. It didn't continue to beat faster. Actually, let me read this. Let me con conclude the story the way he writes it. My mind commanded my heart to beat not an increment faster. And in, a, uh, in an unwavering voice, I responded to Napoleon, the commanders of his highness, the emperor have taken me as their interpreter, as I am knowledgeable in the languages crucial to the carrying out of their duty. So the Aleph of Hasidism, Aleph being the first letter of Aleph, is the sound of the Aleph, but the foundation of Hasidism is that we are in control. Thus, where does this leave us with? Our future is so bright. Our potential is so incredible. So we may have inside of us these two fighting drives, but we have the ability to be in full control of our thought, our speech, and our action. So we leave our second, our second uh, session with the Alter Rebbe knowing that we could be in complete control of our behavior. And I love that picture. Again, that picture is the, the, the brain is a driving factor. We're always in control. So in summary, what have we learned tonight? We've learned that there are competing energies within us, but we could always control I'd like to share this video and then we'll briefly uh, wrap up together and conclude. So please enjoy this video. Or before I have an introduction to the video, 
So the video is going to share. It was made for younger children, but it's a video telling us how we can all be in control of our thoughts, speech, and action. Here we go. Sitting and reflecting the bitter taste of failure fills him. Where am I heading? I fought with all my might. I've done all I can do, yet it doesn't seem the change in me is real and true. Inside you mean it Although 
So thank you. As Rabbi Mishalovin mentioned, actually, the person right here is Rabbi Mishalovin's uncle. Um, yeah, they look very similar. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about the last line of this video, Yetu Hashem, the battle is the victory. Sometimes the average person, like we said, constantly we're managing the conflict. But managing the conflict, the battle is the victory itself. So tonight we learned who am I and what can I be? Who am I? I'm, I'm a person that has these fighting drives within us. And what can I be? I can be in full control of my thoughts, of my speech, and of my actions. Um, I'm going to ask quickly before you leave, I'd love it if you could um, help me for the future, make it even better. Here's a short, short survey. I'd love it if you could fill out. But with this, we're going to conclude tonight's class. Next week, we're going to learn um, what are the tools for life that Tanya offers us.